0: Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constan from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the Principal Investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health and diabetes outcomes and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. I hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: I am Elise Karen, Practice Improvement Coaching Lead for Cardio's Team Best Practices and Associate Professor of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University. Today's podcast will focus on the important role of healthcare systems and clinicians can play in addressing social determinants of health to improve the lives of their patients. With me today is Susan Fuhrer. Susan Fuhrer is president of the Institute for Hope, or Health Opportunity Partnership and empowerment at the Metro Health System. The Institute for Hope is focusing on fixing the root causes of health problems by removing obstacles and encouraging community partners so more people can access what they need to help them grow, succeed, and be healthier. In her role, Ms. Fuhrer leads efforts to bring together neighborhood programs and resources, creating opportunities for everyone in the community to have a chance at a better future. Ms. Fuhrer completed her Master's of Business Administration at Case Western Reserve University, and she's a graduate of Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government. She serves on boards of the Greater Cleveland Red Cross, Cuyahoga Community College Foundation, the Center for Health Affairs, and the Federal Executive Board. Ms. Fuhrer is the immediate past director and chief executive officer of the VA Northeast Ohio Healthcare System, where she served as CEO for a decade. Under her leadership, the VA in Northeast Ohio had significant accomplishments in patient care, research, and education. At the time of her retirement in summer 2020, the VA Northeast Ohio Healthcare System was one of the largest and best-performing VA healthcare systems, with more clinical centers of excellence and the longest-running five-star quality metric ranking in the VA. She is a recognized trailblazer in the VA where she made transparent, data-driven decisions on behalf of veterans, staff, and taxpayers. Welcome, Ms. Fuhrer. Thank you, Elise. So Ms. Fuhrer, can you please tell us a little bit about the Institute of Hope at MetroHealth and how you are working to address
0: social determinants of health? The Institute for Hope is the brainchild of leaders at MetroHealth to include the Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Akram Boutros the Chief of Clinical Transformation, Dr. Nabil Shahadi, and my Dyad partner, James Mizek, who serves as the Clinical Medical Officer for the Institute for Hope. They realized some time ago that while Cuyahoga County has premier healthcare facilities, the overall health of our communities is amongst the worst in Ohio, and frankly, the nation. And that's because overall health factors such as safe housing, nutritious food, transportation, education, and a living wage have really a lot more to do with a person's overall health than the health care they receive. In fact, clinical research shows as much as 80% of a person's well-being is the result of these factors known as social determinants of health, and only 20% is based on the healthcare they receive or genetics. And so in July of 2019, Dr. Boutros created the Institute for Hope to specifically work to improve these social factors that have a great impact on the health of our patients and our communities. Our work really falls into three major categories. Much like a three-legged stool, we need all three to be successful. The first is building healthy families and thriving communities, where we screen and we address the needs of our patients for social determinants of health. And we do this in partnership with many community-based organizations and government. The second is to educate our providers, our philanthropists, and community members on evidence-based outcomes regarding social determinants and the factors they have on health. And the third is to really promote social change in policy by advancing those innovative practices that we have found. And to date, we have completed screens for about 30,000 patients, or 10% of the 300,000 patients MetroHealth sees each year. We feel it is very important for us to identify patients' needs from the eyes of our patients. We also know that screening is not enough. We have to be able to get people help, and that is why we have connected with an electronic referral platform partner. Now that we have information our patients need and we can efficiently and effectively refer them to outside partners, we will be able to actually evaluate what is working and what isn't working so that we can determine where are we seeing a return on investment and where perhaps we need to sideline programs so we can invest those dollars elsewhere.
1: So Ms. Fuhrer, I know you previously worked at the VA. Are there specific ways in which the VA has handled wraparound care services for veterans that have informed your approach to social determinants of health in your role at Metro Health?
0: Well, you know, Dr. Butros says that no other organization can address social determinants of health better than the VA. And I use him because obviously I'm a bit subjective after working there for 35 years. But it's true. For decades, the VA has addressed social determinants. Many of the VA's interventions are federal in scope, such as GI Bill benefits for education and vocational rehab and job training. However, others have been grassroots from individual medical centers. And I think one of the most important initiatives, in my opinion, for the VA has done has addressed homelessness. The reality is if you don't have a home, it is really hard to focus on much of anything, particularly your health. And for clinicians, it's hard to provide care for someone who is homeless. You can't prescribe drugs such as insulin if a person doesn't have a home, can't afford their utility bill, or doesn't have a working refrigerator. You also can't send or call in test results. You can't schedule appointment reminders. And certainly during COVID, you can't do telehealth. I'm really proud that in Cleveland, we recognized homelessness as an issue more than three decades ago, and we started the first homeless center for veterans across the VA. It was a huge success and subsequently modeled across the VA. You know, mental health is also a really big issue that impacts fundamentally all social determinants, and the VA is clearly a leader in addressing mental illness, substance abuse and addictions and traumatic stress disorders recognizing that mental health issues must be addressed to impact improvements in clinical health. There is a lot for other healthcare systems to learn from the VA regarding the impact of moving upstream beyond the walls of hospitals and clinics to improve the overall health and well-being of all people in all communities.
1: We are all experiencing challenges from COVID-19. How is your team responding to meet social needs in the context of COVID-19?
0: You know, very early in the pandemic, specifically Friday, march thirteenth, Metro Health opened the first twenty-four seven hour a day COVID hotline. And since that date, nearly forty thousand people have called the hotline. The callers speak with a nurse who establish if a telehealth visit with a physician is needed. So far, nineteen thousand callers have received a telehealth visit right on the spot. Based on our generous donations to the Helping Hand Fund, we have distributed food and provided emotional support to people with warm line calls and faith-based calls to more than 10,000 households. Specifically, more than 8,600 food distributions have been made since March to help ensure that people that need to quarantine stay quarantined to keep themselves and others safe. We've also made 3,400 calls to people we know are socially isolated or have food insecurity, and we've been following up on their needs. Again, using the Helping Hand Fund, we have provided more than 1,000 comfort kits for homeless people in hotels, at camps, and shelters. And we have provided toys and goods to people sheltered for domestic violence. And we have supported new moms and babies that are at risk for COVID by providing them with diapers, cleaning supplies, baby hygiene supplies. All of this is to help everyone stay safe during the pandemic. And the last thing I'd like to say about the pandemic is to make sure that while we are currently, you know, at an all-time high for number of cases, that everyone knows that Metro's COVID hotline is always available and anyone at any time can call 440-592-6843. It is free and we are here to help.
1: How do we and when will we know if these efforts to connect patients with social services are working?
0: As I mentioned, evaluation and research are one of the three legs of the Institute for Hope's stool. It is critical that we evaluate programs and initiatives, and if they are not working, we pivot or we stop doing them. You know, there's no harm in trying something. That's innovation. But if something isn't working the way we think it should, we need to figure out how to redesign, improve, or stop so that we can reinvest those dollars in a different program. A good example, not one that necessarily wasn't working, but that we learned during COVID was our Food is Medicine program. You know, the Food is Medicine program is a grocery store right at our Metro Health main campus. During COVID, people couldn't come to our grocery store to collect food anymore. So we decided that we would pivot to a home distribution service. And what we have found in the six months since we've been doing home distributions is, one, patients like it better. Two, they are sticking with our program longer. And three, the professional dietitians can spend more time educating and counseling rather than packing and distributing food. This is just, you know, one way where we are seeing at the Institute for Hope that data must be continuously improving and evaluated. So we're currently in the process of hiring a director for research and evaluation, and we already have some great Cracker Jack data managers and statisticians. Because we know, we have to demonstrate the clinical impact and return on investment for our institution, our philanthropy grantors, and most importantly, our patients in the communities in which we serve. It's often hard to
1: connect to the everyday experiences and circumstances of patients. What are the most relevant ways in which your work is building more meaningful connections with patients? Communicate.
0: Communicate. I always say it's the longest four letter word. It is so hard to understand someone's situation, especially on a 20 or 30 minute outpatient appointment. And that is why our work of screening patients is so important, because we are learning from them what they need and what they want. For example, we've learned through our screening of our patients that social isolation is a top issue. We found this before COVID and certainly during COVID. So we've been working on initiatives to reduce social isolation for our patients. One initiative actually came from a Metro Health Foundation board member who said, you know, private industry is used to doing a lot of volunteer work, but that's no longer possible. What can we do to help? So many people wanted to help. So we decided to establish a program called Calls for Hope, where volunteers can call people who are isolated just to chat, nothing clinical, just a friend. We've also been working on addressing the digital divide in Northeast Ohio. Cleveland was recently acknowledged as the least connected big city in America, not something to be proud of because Internet connection is required for just about everything now. You need Internet to look for a job, apply for a job, go to school, apply for benefits and have some sort of connection to the outside world, particularly during this pandemic. That is why we at the Institute for Hope are working to convene community partners to connect and train 1,000 households in the Clark-Fulton neighborhood. We are just beginning, but we've already learned how important it is to get people connected. You know, the Metro Health Transformation Campaign is more than a billion dollars really working to revitalize the Clark-Fulton neighborhood right around our main campus. It happens to be the largest Hispanic Latinx patient population in the state of Ohio. And it is really important as we transform our main campus that we help everyone in our community and in our neighborhood. And that's why we've been really working hard to get everyone connected with digital connectivity. One gentleman expressed his thanks and said that he just loves YouTube. He said it makes his day. Another woman told us how much she enjoys Facebook and connecting with her friends and family near and far. These are just a couple of examples of how our work is building meaningful connections with our patients and their families in our neighborhood.
1: Similarly, what things might you suggest that clinicians could emphasize in their interactions with patients that could help address their social needs?
0: First, a huge shout out to all clinicians. Frontline clinical care is tough under ordinary circumstances, but even more so during this pandemic. It is so hard to address clinical and medical needs during a short outpatient clinic appointment. So, to try to tackle social determinants, issues like lack of housing, heat, food, transportation, makes it even tougher. And that's why at Metro Health, we invested in an electronic clinical platform to facilitate referrals to community based organizations, really to help both clinicians and patients with their social determinants of health needs. You know, this platform goes both ways. Closed-loop referral communication so that when a referral is made by a Metro Health clinician, say for food needs, the community-based organization can respond, and not only can they respond, it goes back to the clinical team so they know exactly what was done. So another great attribute is that this electronic referral system is transparent to all community-based organizations and people that are in the network. So for example, if a clinician makes a referral to the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, the Hunger Network will be able to see that referral and won't be duplicating effort, which happens quite frequently now. And so as we roll out this network, we just started on September 22nd, 2020. Um, We've already made about 500 referrals and gotten those loops closed. We certainly are the first, but we don't want to be the last. We know that having this electronic resource referral system for social determinants was going to be a game changer, much like the electronic health record was decades ago for healthcare.
1: As part of your work, you partner with many community-serving organizations. What advice do you have for practices that are working on building these partnerships?
0: Unite Ohio will help all organizations participating in the network in here in Northeast Ohio, work more efficiently and effectively. It's gonna provide us with a lot of information in terms of what kinds of resources do we need as a community, where should those resources be located, and what are we doing collectively across government, healthcare, and community-based organizations to make an impact. At the Institute for Hope, our ultimate goal is to really study the impact of health outcomes. We will always depend on the community-based organizations to help with social needs, government to help with subsidies, and that's why we need to work as a team and with transparency. You know, there is no organization in Northeast Ohio or no organization in the country that can go it alone to support everyone of every race, ethnicity, economic status, and neighborhoods. We have to work together. We have to know our individual strengths and weaknesses, and we have to convene and partner together amongst people and organizations to make a difference. Our patients and our communities are counting on us. Currently, there is a lot of focus on social determinants of health, more
1: structural factors like neighborhoods. I know that your work has looked at neighborhoods and
0: COVID-19. Can you describe that ongoing work? Certainly, you know, and I think at the, you know, the base of all of this is that, you know, data is just so important. As we continue to screen our patients, and work on ways to meet their needs, we have to be diving into the data, we now have the power of 30,000 social determinant health screenings, and they're growing. And so now we're starting to be able to see trends by age, race, ethnicity, and neighborhood. For example, through social determinants of health screening and the community health needs assessment, we have learned there is a lot of food insecurity for older residents in Parma, Ohio, a traditionally white middle-class neighborhood. And so this was kind of an uh aha that we had so many people that were food insecure in this neighborhood. And what that has allowed us to do is target food distributions In that area. So we have been working with organizations like the Greater Cleveland Food Bank and the Hunger Network to improve food security for the residents of this neighborhood. And we are seeing that we are making a difference in their outcomes. We've also learned that residents at one of our Cleveland Metropolitan Housing Authority units, Scranton Castle, had no digital connectivity. And while they are older, they are isolated and don't have good access to transportation. So what we've done is we have connected with a group of partners. Metro Health has served as the convener. And we now have all 161 units connected thanks to partnerships with Digital C that provides high-speed, affordable Internet, the Cleveland Metropolitan Housing Authority, which was able to give every unit a laptop computer, and our local community college, Cuyahoga Community College, and Asbury Computer Services in Esperanza to provide the training. And that training can include how to connect with a telehealth visit so they don't have to come go to any hospital for telehealth, how to do Facebook, how to use their social service agencies. And we're even starting to show them now how they can use their SNAP benefits um, electronically, much like an Instacart. So all of these things that we are doing are really helping us help people in every neighborhood live a better life. With respect to COVID, we know people of color and people living in congregate settings are at much higher risk for getting COVID. So we at Metro Health have really emphasized testing and education in these communities. And we are very grateful to many of our faith-based partners who have hosted testing across our entire county in conjunction with the County Board of Health. We at the Institute for Hope will continue to use data to inform our work and our effort. And our ultimate goal is to allow every person to live their healthiest life. And it requires so much more than just terrific health care to make that happen. Thank you to our featured guests for joining us today.
1: And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio.
0: This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.